Good morning. I'm Anna Marie, and it's Focus. It's a closer look at people, places, and things right here in our own community. And in this case, uh, people from Clarksville? Came in from Clarksville today. That's my Wednesday through Friday gig. Oh. Um, Tuesdays, I'm actually in Antioch, Nolensville area. Oh, my goodness. And Monday, I'm in Midtown. Monday's Midtown. The life of a doctor. <laughs> our guest today is Dr. Richard Martin, the director of hematology, medical oncology, Tennessee oncology. Is that correct? Yeah, there are many different medical directors. My focused medical directorship for the company is in health equity and community engagement, uh, which I'm very proud of. Okay, what does that mean, Dr. Ricky Martin? Great question. (laughs) Uh, It's actually an inspiring and very new and forward-thinking role that my company, Tennessee Oncology, created. Um, Health equity has been a huge push. We have recognized and importance with our breakthrough cancer treatments that we've discovered, really just an explosion of treatments in the last 20 years. People are living longer, surviving cancer, and now the question is how do we make sure everyone has an opportunity to get early access to treatment? And so part of my task is to make sure that these treatments, um, early screening, new novel therapies, even clinical trials are things that everyone, black, white, rich, poor, uh, can have access to. And so that's I'm really proud of that. That's been a passion of mine, and I'm doing that with the company. Who tends to not have access to the treatments, and how are you making sure that they can get to them and have what they need? It's answers that we are all innately familiar with. Language barriers, poverty, insurance barriers, yep. transportation barriers. One of the reasons I mentioned that I'm out in Clarksville or sometimes in Nolensville or sometimes Midtown we have 35 clinics that cover a huge range in Middle Tennessee where there are a lot of rural communities. And just being able to have physical access to the types of treatments, the types of doctors, um, is a huge challenge. And so that's the type of innovative care delivery models that our company is working for. Uh, and I'm really, really proud to be a part of that. Care delivery, not you come to us and we'll see if we can help you out. Yeah, we come to you. That's been that's been the model for the past 30 years with the company and then some, and now we're really flushing out the gaps. Um, Not just people who might be a little more remote, but who are the extra challenging patients that, but for having a little bit more access, a little bit more support, could have otherwise had an amazing cancer-free outcome. Oh my goodness. You mentioned amazing technology breakthroughs, things like that. Could you tell us some of those? Kind of give us an idea. I know we're not going to understand a lot of it. but No, no. Um, so one of the things I, I really hopefully pride myself in is um, being one of the first people in my family that came out of college and got advanced medical training, having family members who had cancer. Because I really pride myself on being able to talk through these things at a level that you know, my my patients really engage with me and can understand because I think it's important if we're a team to empower people to understand what's going on with their body. Heck yeah. 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 (laughs) We've all had doctors who say, and then then the CBR and the blah, blah, blah. We're like, wait, 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 what? what?" Or are too embarrassed to ask. Yeah. Yeah. And, And one of my very first conversations that I have is no question is a bad question. Reach out between your clinic visits if you need anything. Uh, The one thing that we have control over as we're all looking for, should I drink alkaline water or do I need to starve my cancer of sugar? All of these things. I think the fundamental question is, what can I have control over? What can I be doing through lifestyle with my family, with other people? Because I'm just going to sit back as a patient and trust you as a medical provider to put these drugs in me, to do radiation, to do surgery. And it feels very disempowering. And so I think flipping the script 
and just saying, hey, you have a lot of really great questions and ideas. I'm here to listen. Uh, I may not have the expertise in those areas, but I certainly want to be able to listen with you and, and build that relationship. And so the way I frame all of my conversations with my patients, regardless of whether it's high tech or low tech, is usually in a way where I got to make sure that we're both on the same page and that we're understanding the journey together. So what can one do? What do you tell them? I tell them that despite all of the amazing technologies, which we can go into, that still, pound for pound, the best outcomes are with early detection. And that is such a critical piece that I want to bring to your audience that's listening today. We can't save lives. We can't cure cancers if we don't meet you, if you don't come in the door. So the very first part in my health equity work and anything is working with our community-based organizations, groups like the American Cancer Society, doing media campaigns like this to raise public awareness of the need for early detection, for screening, particularly around breast cancer. If, if you have a family history, talking to your primary care, getting support to get enrolled in insurance. There are programs specifically for people who think that they have a breast cancer where they can get enrolled if they do not have health insurance Wow! to make sure that they can get the mammogram, get the biopsy, find out if it's cancer or not, and not have to wait and worry. Yeah. So then we get the diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And then what? So what can we do? The other part I think that's important to speak to your audience about, um, because a lot of them depending on their age, may have had a family member. This impacts one in eight people. I put myself in the situation of thinking that's basically two women in any middle school or high school classroom that I sat in growing up. Mm -hmm. Class size, about 24 people, one in eight women having breast cancer. I look back and I think, gosh, there were two of my classmates sitting in one of those science classrooms or math classrooms that are probably going to grow up to have a breast cancer. It, it impacts so many people. A lot of Folks my age, I'm in my late 30s, have a mom, an aunt, a friend who has had breast cancer, and they may have some pretty disturbing, unfortunately, memories of bad experiences of people who were treated maybe 10, 20 years ago. Yeah. And one of the messages to, to hammer home is that our technologies have not only led to better outcomes in terms of survivorship, but also because we've become smarter with our treatments, we've been able to be less brutal, if that makes sense, or less powerful. In fact, many of the trials in the last two decades have been how do we still achieve better and better long-term outcomes while doing less? The example that I would give would be the 1990s. We used to do so much chemotherapy that we used to have to give people their bone marrow, mm -hmm. uh, do it, something called a transplant, yeah. just to rescue them from the like nuclear force of the chemotherapy. And it was all the rage. Turns out it did not work so well. Oh, no. But now that we understand from the Human Genome Project, um, really why and how these cancers are developing, we have much more sophisticated treatments that are not just a nuclear bomb, but are more of a sniper rifle, something that matches and personalizes your cancer treatment to the individual. These work better, tend to have far less toxicities, and it's just a different world. So I think when women and some men are feeling a lump, thinking, oh my goodness, could I have a breast cancer and thinking maybe it's not worth it because I remember what mom went through. I remember what grandma went through, my aunt. Times have changed. And if you come in early and get early detection, 
The treatments are often very, very doable and have excellent results. So I can't stress it enough, you know, both from empowering you to get the screening, but also not letting the stories of the past be your future. That is what we hope to change. If you're just joining us, I'm Anna Marie, and this is Focus, and we're talking with Dr. Richard Martin uh, with Tennessee Oncology, and we're talking about helping people learn what's going on now with breast cancer detection and treatment. And you mentioned survivorship, a higher rates of survivorship. Like what do you know specifically or kind of give me an idea? Well, one of the, one of the beautiful things about uh, breast cancer is there are so many advocates which is a reflection of how many people survive this disease. And one of the greatest experiences that I have as an oncologist, a cancer doctor, is being a part of that journey of survivorship with women. Um, The thing that brings me the most joy is not to mix and match drugs with cancers, but to take, again, mostly women, but a few men as well, from that very first day, Lots of tears, lots of shock, wondering what's my future going to look like, a lot of uncertainty, and take them through that journey where the transformation to see how strong they truly are, how much more powerful they are than they ever knew, is just so transformative. It's so amazing to see that process happen in someone. Mm -hmm. And then when we get you through treatment and we're doing those annual mammograms to check for recurrence, make sure you're feeling strong is an opportunity to get involved with other women like yourself to do the foundation walks and fundraisers and have a sense of community and family. And it's, it's a really beautiful thing to see someone who started out feeling fairly isolated, Mm. feeling very uncertain about their future to owning the fact that the disease doesn't own them. They own their disease. And now they have moved on beyond that and they still have a full and meaningful life ahead. And it's just it's such an amazing journey to be a part of. Yeah. Um, and the survivors keep growing. So this is a huge part of our, our job. Actually, we are trying desperately to keep up with enough providers, <laughs> enough cancer doctors to take care of our growing survivors. Um, wow. I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think it was projected that in the next decade, were estimated overall cancers to go from 14 million to 26 million, more or less, survivors. Oh, wow. It's going to double in the next decade. That's a huge group of people who are cancer-free mm-hmm. or living with a cancer, mm-hmm. but have a full and meaningful life ahead. Things that they want to do. Take that cruise. Go to that wedding. You know, Go on that golf trip. Go yeah. on that, that fishing trip. Um, go see your grandchild in their recital or graduate from high school. Yeah. There's so many amazing moments and we're able to achieve those now like we've never had before. And that's, that's the best part of my job. Out of the one in eight women who are diagnosed, do you know how many now survive as compared to 20 years ago? It's hard to put the, the exact numbers on it because there are three very different types of breast cancer. And as I said earlier, screening really matters. Yeah, I gotcha. And what I can tell you is overall, the trajectory has been really great. However, cautionary tale, and again, just what can we use this interview in this moment to help change behaviors and mindset and and really focus on what we get out of action from today's talk? Want to talk about the pandemic 
the COVID pandemic yeah. and how that has impacted survivorship. Oh, wow. We were going good, 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 good. And during the pandemic, when everyone was scared to go into a hospital or a clinic or yeah. see a doctor, we had to make some pretty difficult medical decisions on can we delay things out just a little bit longer? We have seen, particularly among the communities that I mentioned earlier that have had historic barriers to care, they've been hit hardest, but everyone's been hit by this. We, in the last year now, coming out of that pandemic, have been seeing cancers, breast cancers, and other ones that are later stage, that are harder to cure, that have been sitting there longer in people before getting treated. And it's expected in the next three to five years that for the first time in over a decade, we may actually see that those rates of survivorship decrease a little bit. Because of that. Simply because of the delay in getting access to treatment. We feel terrible about this. We're trying to catch up, and that's why really having the opportunity to speak out like I am today with mm -hmm. you is so important because that pandemic is over. COVID is with us for the long term. There's going to be seasonal waves, and there are things that we can do to protect ourselves. But we also need to make sure that cancer, which is overall the second leading cause of death in the United States, yeah. is something we continue to take seriously, and we keep making these inroads and don't take giant steps backwards. Yeah, just because you haven't had a mammogram in a couple of years, possibly because of COVID, doesn't mean you can't get on it now. No, no, exactly, exactly. We've got catching up to do as individuals, as community, and as the healthcare system. We have a lot of accountability for this and a lot of catching up to do. I've been taking part in the Making Strides Against Breast Cancer Walk for years and years now, like a long time, like maybe 20 years, a long time. And I remember there for a while, we would say, okay, could we have the survivors to the stage? We're going <laughs> to do this and play a song and mm -hmm. everybody's going to wave their bandana or whatever, things like that. And it was like a little group. Mm -hmm. It was a lot of kind of older women often. Mm. And then the group kept growing and growing and growing. And now it's, we call it a sea of pink. It's like huh. a, a sea yeah. of people with their little pink hats or pink bandanas right there in front of the stage or wherever they're, they're gathering. And it's amazing because I got to actually see it grow through the years. That. Kudos to you, man, oh, and no, to the medical community and the people who've been working so tirelessly. We, we all play our part. We all play our part. Uh, we were just having a fundraiser a few nights ago, and I mentioned to somebody, there's an amazing book about the medical community, um, doctors, nurses, how we first learned about cancer, how we first started treating cancer. And honestly, the first major breakthroughs didn't, were not led by the scientific discovery. They were led by a passionate New York socialite who said, darn it, <laughs> kids getting leukemias is not right. Kids should not be dying from this disease. Galvanized a lot of people, got their checkbooks out, got them walking in the streets, got the government involved, got hospitals involved, and said, we need a solution to this. And it was one of the first cancers that we developed a cure for. She didn't have any medical training. She was just a passionate individual who developed a sense of community, got people together for a common cause, a common purpose. So I say we all we all play our parts. Yeah. The the part I'm playing today is to get the folks listening, either themselves or their family, to say, what do I have control over? Mm -hmm. I can't maybe develop the next breakthrough drug, mm -hmm. but I can go get my mammogram. Yeah. I can go make sure that my mom's story is not my story. 
You also can help us get people out to the Making Strides Against Breast Cancer walk. And you also are the co-chair of the Men Wear Pink. Men Wear Pink. Yes, yes. Campaign. It, you can't see me. You can't see me there right now, everybody. But I've got I've got my double layer uh, <laughs> pink. So I'm really representing today. Oh, Dr. Ricky Martin. They're <laughs> Here gonna we go see with you. the photograph. They're going to see you. He, he looks great. And he's a very good ambassador for Men Wear Pink. Why is it important for men to speak up against breast cancer, which still primarily affects women? Yeah, my well, my aunt had cancer. I, I treat every single one of my patients. I will tell them, I'm going to treat you like you're my own family. Mm -hmm. And so I take that very personal. And I think with breast cancer being as common as it is, it's going to impact maybe my daughter, you know, maybe a sister. And we are all human. We're all in this together. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine losing somebody like that that is so close to me. Um, I've had friends mm -hmm. with this disease. Um and I think that when any movement, any social movement, anything for the greater good has ever made real inroads, it takes everybody coming together. Yeah. Sometimes that's not taking a leadership role. Sometimes that's just stepping back and being a supportive ally. This is my role to be an ally. Yeah. But I think you had also interviewed an amazing survivor to share her story. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm always there to just say, let them share their stories first. They're the people who have been through this. Mm -hmm. I'm helping them get there, but they're the star of the show. And I think it's just important that we amplify their voices, that, that men are here to help amplify the voices of most, mostly women. But you also, I think, interviewed... Uh, a male breast cancer survivor. Yeah, he's one of the faces of hope this year, Lance. Yeah, yeah, Lance is incredible. And he said he did not get checked out earlier because he did not realize men got breast cancer. He had symptoms for a while wow. and didn't know it. So thus the education that we need to continue. Absolutely. And part of that education as well is building partnerships with primary care doctors Often a lot of patients won't come to me until they have that diagnosis, which I think may, may come as a surprise to some of the people listening. Yeah. You know, it's what I treat every day, but I often am not the person doing the initial diagnosis. Right. Lumps can be other things. And so if it's not cancer, I may never see you. Right. So it's also making sure we have really excellent communication and education and support with those primary care docs or those emergency room doctors or those urgent care doctors. You know, maybe you don't have an established doctor and you've been feeling something and you go to just a walk-in clinic. Oh. Well, that person still wants to make sure that they have cancer on their list. And if they get a biopsy or get an image that's concerning, that they know who to direct that to as well. And those types of things happen a lot in men or as a more general rule in groups of people that are not the classic person that we think of as getting the disease. Mm -hmm. Not oh, 60 or over, mm -hmm. which it had been for a long time. So are cancer rates increasing among younger oh people? Oh, my gosh. You know what? What a, what a great plant. If you were a med student, I'd be like, come on up here. And he, <laughs> you just became a second-year student with a question like that. That's an amazing question. Yes. In general, one of the other more concerning things, and to piggyback on our earlier conversation about survivorship, we have more survivors. We're also seeing an increase in cancers. So, yes, these treatments are working to cure your cancer, keep you alive longer with cancer, but whether it's things in our water, things in our food, things in our lifestyle, things that honestly we just, there's so many new technologies, chemicals, other things coming out. It's really hard to design trials to know exactly what thing people were exposed to. 
But the biggest concern with that is we are seeing it slowly happen in younger and younger people. They've had to adjust mammogram screening ages, colon cancer screening ages. There's been a resurgence now in thinking about prostate screening. For a while, that was all the rage. Then it kind of backed off. Now we're thinking about bringing that back. Mm -hmm. There's some concerns here in younger folks. So if you're listening and you're somebody in your 30s or 40s, it's right on the cusp of being an individual by individual decision, but we need to have those conversations. Right. Just because something isn't automatic doesn't mean we need to ignore it. We've had people in here who have developed breast cancer at 23. Yeah. I have several patients in their 20s. Yeah. Several, several. Some even without a strong family history. So don't just rule it out. Educate yourself about it. Absolutely. When you're getting checked out and trying to make sure you're healthy, consider that. Absolutely. If you have a good doctor who can talk you through, what would it mean for you if this was positive? Or what would it mean for you if it was negative? Because we're a little still a bit paternalistic, even though we have way more diversity in terms of men and women as doctors Mm -hmm. in today's day and age, which is fantastic. But we're still a little bit more like, oh, this young woman... If we give her a biopsy, if we do this, she's going to feel anxious and it, and she's so young. Turns out that most lumps less than 30 and less than 40 are not cancer. Yeah. Um, so if you're biopsying every single one of those and you're making somebody worry sick, probably a little bit of an extra procedure, extra worry, and it was nothing. But at the same time, if it was something, you had an opportunity to save a life. Yeah. And so I think that we can have very adult conversations with young women and men say, look, you may feel some anxiety now, but I'm here for you. This could all be nothing. But if you're willing to get this biopsied, I'll make sure that we're here for you either way. And I think that honestly, people hearing it in those terms to know what they're getting into would be okay with those things. And if they're not, that's fine. And, you know, that's it's called shared decision making, but we can only make those decisions if we're having the conversation. Right, right. I've had people tell me that they felt a lump and their doctor said, oh, I don't think it's anything. It's probably not anything. Go ahead. You got a vacation. Go ahead and go on your vacation. <laughs> mm. And the lady said, I just I just didn't feel right about it. It didn't feel right. I know my body. And I said, I want to be tested. I want the test. And the doctor gave in. She said, OK, I don't think that's it, but gave in and did it. And it was cancer and yeah, it was wow. an aggressive form of cancer. Wow. She'd gone on her little vacation. She might not have been around. Yeah. I mean, that's a perfect example. We go through a lot of medical training Mm -hmm. to come up with the answer in our head for a test question. We're we're tested so many times to say, here's the answer. And we do a lot of these automatic thought processes internally Mm -hmm. without involving the patient. And if you're only 20, it's probably more likely that blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And that's very true. Yes. Like everything we just said, playing the odds, it probably is nothing. But you can still have that conversation with somebody to say, it's probably nothing. But even if it was nothing, would you still want to get this biopsy? Maybe have a little scar there. Just wait two weeks to get a result and let them make the decision with you. Yeah. So that you're not just saying, ah, it's nothing. Come back. I'll see you later. Yeah. Um, You've made the entire decision without bringing them into the table. And if they said, you know what? Yeah, I will wait two more months. That same person could have said, at least we made that decision together and not feel like that person was not listening and, or was dismissive. Okay, so how do you get the education to people who are practicing right now? Are they updated on the latest info, or they have to take classes, or 
one of these missing pieces that I think honestly in the next 10 years, we're going to be at the forefront of improving medical care. We become very specialized, very siloed. And with that, there are critical transitions of care, we call them. As you're leaving a hospital, you are very sick. Someone has to manage you afterwards, make sure you're still getting better. The hospital's not probably going to see you again. Same thing. You go see a primary care doctor. You know, they've been managing your diabetes, mm -hmm. your high blood pressure, but they have a lump. Maybe they rarely see folks with lumps in their breast. We can't retrain all of them, but we can create pipelines and pathways to know who else in the community, if they're struggling to know, should I work this up? Should I not? How should I talk with this person to know that there are other people. We're a team. As I, as I said, again, we all play our parts. Mm -hmm. Expecting one person to just continuously get better and better and retrained, that's, that's a dead end. Medical technology is moving too fast, but we can build systems to support each other, to help each other out, to know if you are identifying somebody that you feel a little beyond your comfort zone, or maybe you don't remember if that answer that you would have given 10 years ago is still relevant today, right. go find somebody that might have the training, the equipment, the tools to make sure that you're not missing anything. Call Dr. Susan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and to be fully clear, you know, th that's not me. I'm not saying that I'm that person that I know it all either. <laughs> this, is, this, is not, this is not at all. Um, so we're but talking we can, about building connections. We can build those connections. I want you to address the role of lifestyle because I mm -hmm. think as far as I know, as a member of the general public and as a member of people who've been doing interviews, about breast cancer for a long time, mm -hmm. obesity has just been, in the past couple of years, just been mentioned as a cause of cancers. Can you address that and help us? I, I'm going to start depressing and cynical, <laughs> and then I'll you know end getting hopeful. We with need you. that. <laughs> okay. Um, when I think about things like Biden's cancer moonshot, when I hear people say. In 10 years, we'll have a cure for cancer. Cancer being this big single thing, yeah. which it's not. But I think to myself, okay, well, what would that look like? Is that going to be a shot that everyone takes? And if everyone got that shot and nothing happened to you in 80 years, you would just say, yep, it worked. Um, that's a big leap of faith. right? Or what if that came instead of a shot? And God knows with the pandemic, it was hard enough getting everybody to get shots. What if it was a pill and you had to take the pill every day for your whole life? And at the end of the day... When we still think about the fact that we still have a lot of cigarette smoking in this country, some pretty high levels of alcohol use in this country and globally, and the rates of obesity that we have, knowing that I've known for decades as a cancer doctor and as a doctor through my training that those things can lead to cancer. We can't even cut those things out. So it does make me a little cynical and jaded sometime that we're ever going to truly develop a cure when the things that we know are low-hanging fruit, we would call it, things that we think we should have control over, we can't even do those. Mm -hmm. How are we going to make the entire world or the entire country start doing other things for their entire life um, mm -hmm. that would prevent cancer? So alcohol use, cigarette smoke, and obesity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Those are prime factors. I mean, it comes down to really two categories. The, the genes, the cards you were dealt, right, coming into the game. Yeah might put you at a higher risk. And I kind of think of it as rolling the dice. Hey, you could roll your dice all your life and never get snake eyes, never land <laughs> on a two. And you know, you're, you're lucky. Um, even if you had bad genes, 
And that's the same thing for, for smoking. You can smoke and you can take your chances, but the odds increase. The risk does increase. Yeah. And if we were to remove tobacco from everybody, the number of cancers would go down dramatically. Mm -hmm. If we were to reduce the amount of alcohol consumption to, I think some guidelines look at a glass of wine or a glass or maybe a glass and a half of beer per day on average. Mm -hmm. But we know that there's a lot more binge drinking or high alcohol drinking behaviors. If we were to cut those things down, the amount of cancers would decrease dramatically. Wow. Um, and obesity, there's actually been studies specific to breast cancer looking at not just for primary prevention, but if you've had a breast cancer mm -hmm. and you're saying, what do I have control over to prevent a second breast cancer? They found that no matter whether your body mass index, BMI, I think that's probably a term that most people are familiar with now, but it's basically your weight relative to your height, that if you're a heavier person, even if you were to lose about 5% of your total body weight, mm -hmm. so it doesn't matter if that's if you start out at 300 pounds or 180 pounds, if you lose about 5% of your body weight, you can reduce your risk of getting a second breast cancer. Wow. So we know that these things exist. They're just hard to do. Yeah. They're just hard to do. And so that's the other part that I think is really special for me as a provider. I tell people, I don't treat cancer. I treat people with cancer. So when we get you through that initial treatment, I'm in it for the long term with you. I'm trying to make sure you go to those walks, do those events, get your get your girlfriends, get your support group. Um, whether that's you know, depending on if we need chemotherapy, a wig or a prosthetic bra, get you feeling looking good, feeling good, but also working with you on hey, how do we make sure since we went on this really long journey together? that we don't let some other silly cancer creep up on you. Mm -hmm. You know, we got to we got to stay focused mm -hmm. and then also make sure that you know, you're not hunched over a little old lady with thin bones or that the obesity catches up with you or these other things. Yeah. So, you know, nothing it does me no no good to just keep people alive as couch potatoes, you know, with nothing uh, to look forward to. Yeah. Uh, I want to keep you living. I want to keep you vibrant. I want to keep you with something exciting ahead. We want the same thing. Thank you for joining us yeah. today. Dr. Richard Martin with Tennessee Oncology or Ricky Martin. <laughs> yes. Thank you for joining us today. We're going to put some links for more information on the Focus Facebook page. Make sure you join us again next week, please. I'm Anna Marie, and that's Focus. Focus.